Father, your name is great. Would you help us to realize the greatness that is attached to it? Lord, may we not uh, diminish it to just a word. May we attach it to, to you, Lord, and your greatness and your power and your sovereignty, Father. And Lord, tonight as we open up your word, uh, may, we, may we listen, and may we hear, may we examine ourselves, Father. As we take a look at the life of Gideon, may we see some things in our life as well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, as I have said for the last couple of weeks, the common theme of Judges is an unfaithful people in the midst of a faithful God. They continually reject the Lord and they follow after the false gods and then they find themselves in captivity and they cry out to God and God is faithful to come and redeem them. And the story tonight will not change. What will change is the judge or the man that's going to be used in this. Tonight we're going to take a look at Gideon. And uh, if you've studied the scriptures and you know Gideon, you might first think mighty warrior, conquered a lot of people with just 300 men. But Gideon is one of my favorite people in the Bible um, because of the way he starts out. He starts out very, very ordinary. He's really a nobody. He starts out as, as the least in his father's house, the least of the tribes, the least of, of everything. He's, he's a nobody. Yet God chooses to use Gideon in a mighty way. He's a doubter. He even doubts, yeah, if God's with us, then why are all these things happening to us? You know, and I can see so much of me in Gideon sometimes. And then as the, he gets the word of the Lord, still he doubts. And he goes through this process, and we're not going to get to cover it all tonight, but at the end, he does a good thing, but then he messes it up again. Just kind of like we do, you know? We're walking with the Lord, we're doing good, then we mess up. And then we wonder, Lord, really, did you tell me to do that? Is that really something I should do? And, you know, it, his life is just, I think it just, it's just a picture of me sometimes. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to look at chapter 6 tonight. I think we'll look, look at 6 tonight and 7 and 8 next week. Um, we'll see how it goes. But Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, we're used to that by now, right? So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midianites. And for seven years... They lived under the oppression of the Midianites. They're, they're hiding in the mountains, we just read. They've left the land of promise. They've left the land of promise, and now they've, they've come to a place of fear where they're hiding in the caves. They're hiding in the rocks. They're hiding under the ground because they're in fear of the very people they failed to drive out. God said, drive out the inhabitants of the land, and they didn't. They decided, oh, we'll just live with them. We'll just we'll make them our slaves. Well, now they find themselves in slavery to them. It's interesting to me, seven years. Seven years. Don't you think after seven days you'd get the hint? I mean, how long would it really take you to turn to the Lord? Well, I don't know. How long did it take you to turn to the Lord? 
You see, I like this because it's a picture. You ever, ha- you ever had that person in your life, maybe it's a friend or a coworker, and their life's just a disaster on all fronts. I mean, their marriage is falling apart, financially they're broke, and, and, you, and you say, well, what a great, I'm going to share Jesus with them. And you go and you share Jesus, and they're like, oh, whatever. I'm not, that's, that, that's your God, that's not my God. And you're like, no, it, it's really, look at your life. What do you have to lose? I mean, it's falling apart anyways. Nah, not, it's not for me. You do your thing, it's not for me. That's what they're doing. For seven years, they live under the oppression of the Midianites. You'd think they would have turned, you think by now, word's getting out, listen, you get oppressed, you get turned over, just quickly repent, and God will come rescue you. Seven years, they live under the oppression. They're living in caves, they're living in fear. Verse 3, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, that means they're planting, Midianites would come up, come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Here's what's taking place. The Israelites, they're hiding. They're hiding in the caves. And then they would sneak out and they would plant the land. They would plant the land. The rains would come. They would grow. At harvest time, when they harvested the land, the Midianites would come in and take everything. It's like getting robbed after getting your paycheck on Friday. You're on your way to the bank. Somebody takes all your money. You worked all week for it. Somebody comes and takes everything you have. So the the Midianites are coming in. They're allowing the Israelites to do all the work. And they're coming in. They're just taking it. And by the way, this group of uh, Midian, you say, well, where did they come from? You know, they're related to the Israelites. They came from Abraham. After Sarah, Abraham's wife, died, Abraham remarried. And he married a lady by the name of Keturah. She had six sons. One of them was named Midian. Midian. So they're, they're somewhat related. They're, from, they're both from the lineage of Abraham. And they're against each other. The Amalekites were always against them. But both of these groups, the Amalekites and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the Midianites, they're kind of uh, nomads. They just kind of wandered around the desert. They just kind of went from place to place. But we read here that there's, there's thousands and thousands. They, they can't even count how many of them. There's so many of them. All, every time you turn around, you're running into them. Every time we have a harvest, they're coming to take everything. So you can see that the, Israel, the, the, the people here, they finally had enough. They finally get to the point, I can't take, I wonder if it was that last harvest. You know, they, all through the season, they plant, they plant, here comes the harvest, and here, they, here the Midianites come, they take it all away. They finally got to that point, and they did what God was waiting for. They cried out to the Lord. Finally, it finally took one last thing to make them cry out to the Lord. What a great place to be. I, I asked, you know, I, I think this is a, 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 is a good question. When's the last time you cried out to the Lord? When's the last time that you, in your life, said, Lord, I need help. I need, I, just give me something. Give me direction. I, I need, just cried out to him. That's what he's waiting for. Seven years they endure the oppression. They didn't have to endure it for seven days. But he patiently waits he puts them into the hand of the Midianites only so that they would then cry out to him. And the moment they cry out, the Lord's faithful. The Lord's faithful. Look what he does. 
They're greatly impoverished. Children of Israel, verse 7, the children came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I bought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed me. You have not obeyed me. The prophet points out the problem that got them into the situation. Disobedience. Disobedience. Listen, the Lord has been with you. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. And you have not obeyed me. You have not obeyed me. I think that's interesting. And we've kind of touched on this before. Blessings are tied to obedience. Obedience is is the number one thing in, in the life of a Christian. Obedience, that's what the Lord needs. That's what he wants from you. I shouldn't say needs. That's what he desires from us. It's for us to look around and say, you know what, Lord? I want what you want. I want want from my life what you want from my life. I want from my employment what you want from my employment. I want to live where you want me to live. I want to work where you want me to work. I want to go to school where you want me to go to school. Or I want to, you know, it's foreign to us, especially in our culture. We think, well, Christianity, we do that on Sunday mornings. But that's not what it really is at all. It should be something that we do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And our heart should be, I want what God wants for me. But oftentimes it's ourselves. It's not what God wants, it's what I want. And I want to use God to get what I want. Don't be that way. I want to be a person, and I hope you do too, that I want what God wants for me. I don't want to try to use God just to simply get what I want. Lord, will you get me a better job? Will you get me a promotion? Will you get me a bigger house? Will you get me more money? Oh, I'll use it all for ministry, Lord. No, why not say, Lord, I want whatever you want from me. Whatever you want, Lord. So the prophet points it out to him. He says, hey, you've been disobedient. Now, in verse 11, we see the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You get the joke? You get the joke? He's threshing wheat by the wine press because he's hiding from the Midianites. Let me just put it culturally in perspective for you. The wine press was always at the bottom of the mountain, the bottom of the hill. The grapes grew up on the hillside. And then do you want to carry the grapes up the hill or down the hill? You want to carry them down the hill. Why? It's an easier load. But the threshing of the wheat always took place at the top of the hill. Now, do you know what threshing was? So they would, they would harvest the wheat, they would crush the wheat, they would beat the wheat, and they would smack it against a rock. They would throw the wheat up in the air, the wind would then blow away the chaff, and the wheat, the part that you could eat, would fall down to the ground. You don't want to do that in a valley. Why? Because the wind always blows more at the top of a mountain. We all know that. We live in the mountains. You go up to, go up to Dan's Rock sometime and stand there, and it, it's freezing up there. Because the wind's blowing up. What do we see going on top of our mountains? Windmills. Why? Why don't they put those at the bottom of the mountain? 
It doesn't make any sense. But here's Gideon hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat in secret, and the angel of the Lord, and I'm going to tell you, I believe that's a Christophany, that's an appearance of Christ before he comes to earth. And you'll see why as we continue on in this chapter, why I think it's Christ. He's going to actually receive worship from Gideon and receive sacrifice from Gideon later. A regular angel would never receive worship or sacrifice. Okay, but he, the angel of the Lord comes to him, and like I said, I believe it's Christ. It's a, it's it's Christ, and he says to him, "You mighty man of valor." That's funny. God's got a sense of humor. Here's Gideon with his knees knocking, hiding behind a tree or whatever he's doing, trying to thresh wheat. You know, scared to death. You mighty man of valor. He, he, he must look. Who is he talking to? Is there somebody else standing behind me? But it also. I think it shows us how the Lord sees us. He doesn't look at what we are. He looks at what we're going to become. He doesn't look at who we are today. He sees us complete in him. That's good. Because sometimes we're like, Vidian, we're like, we're like Vidian. We're like Gideon. You know, we're, we're like doing something we shouldn't be doing. We're wrong. And the, and the Lord looks and says, Praise, you're one of my, you're my son. You're my daughter. What do you mean? You're mine. I see you what you're going to become. Yeah, you're messing up today, but I see where you're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. When we come face to face, I see what you've accomplished or what you will have accomplished on this earth. Because he has the ability to see the end of our life, which we don't get to see. That's why we trust him when it comes to what we're going through today. That's why when we're in a difficult situation now, we can look up and go, Lord, we trust you. Because he knows what's coming tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. You mighty man of valor. Who? Me? Look what Gideon says. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. Now, by the way, he doesn't know this is an angel yet. He's not aware of that. But he says, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He asks the question, well, he asked two questions, really. He asked two questions. The first thing he says, well, if the Lord's with us, then why has all this happened to me? Why has all this happened to our country? Why are, we, why are we under the oppression of the Midianites? Oh, and by the way, the second question is, where are all those miracles we heard about? We don't see any miracles happening today. Now, I need to stay. I, I, this, is, this is what happens today, okay? Let me just give you a picture of what's going on. In, in Gideon's house... In his yard is a statue or an altar erected to Baal, okay? So he looks around, and he, he's face-to-face with the Lord, and he doesn't know it's the Lord, but he says, oh, if the Lord's with us, then why are all these bad things happening to us? And I don't see any of the miracles that, that the Bible talks about or that our forefathers talked. It wasn't the Bible. It was our forefathers talked about. And here's, here's the mistake that people make today. How many people do you know? that will say the same exact thing about their life. Well, if the Lord's with me, why am I going through this hard time? And, and what about these miracles? I'm sick, and, and they, I went forward, and they prayed for me at church, but I just haven't got better yet. Completely oblivious to the lifestyle that they're living in. Never, never considering I'm the problem, never considering my altar, my worship of Baal, Ashtoreth, whatever the money, sexual, 
whatever, whatever the idols that we would erect today or we possibly could erect, and we don't call them idols and we don't bow down to them the way that, that they did back then, but certainly in our culture there's worship taking place to many things that aren't God. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, what is it that we worship most? Ourselves. We went, the Israelites were monotheistic, the Canaanites are polytheistic, monotheistic meaning we worship one God, polytheistic means we worship many gods, and now today, what's the big word? Atheistic. I'm atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't worship any God. Why? Because then I'm free to worship myself. Then I can do whatever I want, however I want. I define what truth is. I define what right and wrong is. You can't tell me. You do what's good for you. I'll do what's good for me. And then we are essentially reduced to the point of atheism where you're worshiping ourselves. When we deny the existence of a God, that leaves nobody else to worship but ourselves. Do we see that in our culture today? You better believe it. It's all about me. It's all about me. Gideon asked these questions completely unaware that the culture he's living in is a debauchery to God. It's blasphemy to God. It's blasphemy. But he asks these questions. Now, look at the Lord's answer. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go, in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I like that answer. You know what the answer was? He didn't answer at all. He didn't answer. Gideon asked the questions. Why is it happening to us? Where are all the miracles? And the Lord said, go. In the strength that you have, in the power that you have, go. Go in the might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. The Lord said, I don't have to tell you this. I don't have to give you everything. I want, I've got things for you to do. Let's quit talking about things and start doing things. Go. Go. So Gideon answers. So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Notice his argument here. God says, or the angel of the Lord says, go, you're going to be the one that saves Israel. Now you'd think he'd be like, all right, let's go. I'm the, one, I'm the man. But he goes, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. How can I be the one that saves Israel? Wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, and we're really not known as warriors. And, and my dad, my family, well, we're not really known very well in the tribe of Manasseh. And in my dad's house, in my family's house, I'm like the lowest guy. So I'm like nobody here. You know, there's no, how am I going to save Israel? I'm, I'm a nobody. Besides, my knees are knocking and I'm threshing wheat in secret so the Midianites don't come after me. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm scared to death of them. I'm not on top of the hill where I should be. I'm down at the bottom, scared. And then the Lord says, in verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon at this point is looking at his life and his strength. He's looking at his pedigree. He's looking at his qualifications. He's looking at his education. He's looking at his experience. He's looking at what he's done to this point in life. This is what I've accomplished. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I've done nothing. And the Lord looks back and says, Gideon, it's not your strength. It's mine. 
It's not what you're going to accomplish. It's what I will accomplish in you if you will let me. It's not, it's not you. I just want you to be obedient, Gideon. I just need you to say you'll go and you'll do the things I ask you to do. Oh, it hasn't changed. It's the same way today when the Lord calls. The Lord calls somebody. There's nothing better than watching somebody step out in any, and I don't care what ministry it is. It's not necessarily a teaching or a pastoral ministry. Stepping out in a, in a, in a step of faith where they're going beyond their own physical ability. They're, they're going beyond their own intelligence level. They're going beyond their own whatever they, I'm outside of my comfort zone. It's really cool to watch things happen. I've done that with the radio station. Kevin's done it with the radio station. I don't have anything, to, any idea about radio, but we're keep moving forward. Some point, some, you're going to turn your car radio on, you're going to hear me on the radio, I guess, I don't know. We're just, but it, it's, we're, we're taking those steps of faith. As the Lord leads, that's what he's looking for. Somebody that says, I'll go, I'll do it. And it's not just Gideon. It's not just certain people that he wants to do that with. I believe he wants to do it with everybody. Now, Gideon got his name in the Bible, and I think he wants to do that with every person alive, if they would just give him that opportunity, if they would just say, Lord, I'll do whatever that you want me to do. But instead, so often we allow our pedigree, our education, our experience, our past lives to limit what we can do for the Lord because we think we're not qualified. And I think it's just the, I think we need to realize that God doesn't call the equips. He call the equipped, he equips the called. He calls first, and then he equips you along the way to do whatever it is that he's called you to do. If you're operating in your own strength, that's, no, that's not faith at all. That's it's your own abilities. Go outside, go out beyond your own, your own abilities. So the Lord's being real clear here. It's not you, Gideon, it's me. And then Gideon says in verse 17, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Don't depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring my offering. And I set it before you. And he said, I'll wait until you come back. So Gideon says, all right, all right, all right hold on, hold on. Hey, hey, mister, sir, listen, if this is true, if I'm really going to be the one that delivers Israel from the hand of the Midianites, can you show me a sign? Show me a sign. Let me see something cool. I'm, I'm going to go get an offering. I'm, you, you, you wait right here. I'll be right back. And he says, go. Go ahead. So Gideon goes off. Verse 19, so Gideon went in. He prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from, from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree, and he presented them. Now notice something. Gideon is going to prepare an offering. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship to this person, this, this angel of the Lord that he's speaking to. He's offering this act of worship, but he's also offering it in tough times. Remember, they're in a famine. They don't have the food to feed themselves. They don't have the food to feed their cattle. And now he's going to get food prepared as an offering to the angel of the Lord. And I think there's, a, there's something in there too. Um, don't neglect your offerings to God even in tough times. You know, be consistent with your offerings to the Lord. You know, I think that's important. And he's, Gideon's going to make the offering, you know. He could have said, he could have said, yeah, 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 I'm not going to save Israel. You're crazy. I'm out of here. I'm going back to threshing my wheat. And I thought I was secret down here. I'm going to go find another place to thresh wheat. Just leave me alone. But he's engaging. 
And, and I love the Lord's heart in this. Because the Lord could say, listen, I told you you were a ma- mighty man of valor. I changed my mind. You, you just, you're just too doubting. Just forget it. Just forget it. I'm going to go find, where's one of your brothers? Point me in his direction. But the Lord doesn't do that. He's so patient, so gentle. You want a sign? Okay, I'll give you a sign. Go make your meal. So Gideon goes off and he makes the meal. And then he comes back. Verse 19, so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket. He put the broth in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Did you catch what took place? Gideon presents it. Angel of the Lord says, put it over there, pour out the broth, put the meat there, touches it with a staff and And Gideon's going, whoa, that was pretty cool. And angel of the Lord's gone. And look at his response. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So now Gideon realized he just spoke with God. The Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Well, he just saw the Lord face to face. It wasn't God the Father. I believe it was God the Son. And if you were to see God, no man can shall see the face of the God and live. The angel of the Lord says, no, no, you're okay. You're not going to die. You've seen me face to face. It just hit him who he was talking to. It, he just realized it. He, it just hit him. He, it, it, he saw the, the, and the gone. And whoa, I was just, I was just with the Lord. I, I, I was just with the Lord there. Amazing. And it's interesting, he's afraid again. He was afraid because he didn't have the Lord. Now he's afraid because he does have the Lord. Really, he was, he was hiding from the, from the Midianites because the Lord had left them. And now he's hiding and now he's afraid again. And he says, peace be with you. Do not fear, for you shall not die. Verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And he called it, the Lord is peace or Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. To this day, it's still, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Now, came to pass the same night. Oh, by the way, that's one of the names for the Lord. The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. You know, the Lord is peace. It's a position, you know, it's interesting too as the angel of the Lord here, uh, like I said, I believe it's a, it's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And uh, peace is, is not only, you can say it, well, I have a peaceful feeling. I have peace about me. But really peace is the position in Christ that we occupy before God. You know, when we, when we are in Christ, we are at peace with God. Apart from Christ, we're separated from God. So it's, it's, it's more than a feeling. It's that position that we occupy as a believer. We are at peace with God. What an incredible place to be. I, I would rather be at peace than anywhere else with him. But we're at peace with him. And then it came to pass, verse 25, now it came to pass the same night. The Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, 
and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took, the, took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He's scared again. He's scared. But there's another important lesson here. God says to Gideon, now I've got your attention. I'm going to use you. But there's some things in your family that I have to take care of first. There's some things at home, Gideon, that we have to work out. You see, your family is stuck in the worship of Baal. You have an altar of Baal. We have to tear it down. Ministry always begins in the home. Ministry will always begin in the home first. Any man or woman who's ministering outside of the home and failing to minister in the home to their family, you're missing the whole point of it. The the home is where it starts. God says to Gideon, i got to get you straightened out at home first. I want you to go home. I want you to tear down the altar. (gasps) Do you know what's going to happen to me if I tear down the altar? My dad. It's my dad's altar. It's my family's altar. We put it there for for the crops to grow. And What am I going to do? Well, I know, I know. I'll tear it down at night when nobody's looking. I'll sneak around and tear it down. He doesn't have the guts to do it during the day. But that's okay. God says, I'll take what you'll give me. You want to do it at night? I'll do it at night. So he does. He goes, takes ten of his men. He goes and tears it down. What he's doing is he's standing up for what's right. He's, he, he realizes the cost. He realizes he could die for this. But Gideon's going to take a stance. A mighty man of valor is willing to take a stand at home for what is right. A mighty man of valor is willing to take a stand at home to do what is right far before he steps out into the world to be used by God. Got to take the stance at home. Got to tear down the altars at home. Got to tear down the idols at home before we can step out. So, Next morning, sun's coming up, verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down. And the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Let me get your attention. The men of the city realized the altar has been torn down. It doesn't take long. There was 10 people that helped him. I'm sure they got a quick, real quick confession on who did what. The men come to Joash, Gideon's father, and say, give us your son. He must die. Joash was worshiping Baal too. But Joash is now going to be inspired by the boldness of his son. Because Gideon took a stand, because Gideon did what's right, it's going to cause Joash to now go, you know, wait a minute. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And look what Joash's response to the men are. 
But Joash said, in verse 31, Joash said to all those who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. If he's a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. What does Joash say? Who are you to plead for a god? If, if Baal is a god and somebody tore down his altar, let him do something about it. Let the God that you're worshiping handle the problem. As a matter of fact, if you're going to plead for him, I'm going to ask that you be dead by morning. And look what, look what happens. Therefore, that day he called him Jerubbabel, which means Baal plead, by the way. Baal plead, pleading for Baal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. And all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and they encamped at the valley of Jezreel. So Gideon takes a stand at home for what is right, what is godly, inspires his dad. His dad now takes a stand with him, and they drive back the enemy, those that are coming against them, just far enough. They, because he does what's right. A mighty man of valor must begin his ministry at home. It's so valuable, so important. Now, they move, the Midianites, they're moving around. They, they, the people of the east, they're gathering together. They crossed over. They encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now look at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is so confusing. In, in What does this mean? It means the Spirit of God fell upon Gideon. It means that Gideon was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It means Gideon was filled with the Holy Spirit. It means the Spirit of God came upon him. Well, what is he going to do next? Please understand something. When the Spirit of God falls upon somebody, the primary purpose for it is to accomplish God's will in their life. It's not for them to do something strange or weird. You can't accomplish God's will in your life without the Spirit of God being upon you. You say, wait a minute, Rob, isn't this the spirit that I got when I first believed in Jesus? Well, yeah, when you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. That, that I believe. And, and he may come upon you at that same time. But there's also a picture here. Of, obviously, we saw Gideon believe. We saw him believe in God earlier, just a few verses ago. But now he's being empowered to do what God's called him to do. He tore down the altars of Baal in his own strength. Remember, he's, he's going to do what you can do in your might. He tears down the altar of Baal in his might. Now the Holy Spirit's going to... He had the power to do that. I have the power to tear down the Baals or the idols in my life. He, I'm going to do that. I don't need God's help to do that. I know right. I know wrong. I just have to take the action. Now, God says, I'm going to do something with you that you don't have the power to do. I'm going to give you power that you don't understand. I'm going to bring my Holy Spirit upon you, and you're going to do some incredible things. And Gideon, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gideon, and Gideon gets up and he blows the trumpet. Do you know what that meant? When the trumpet blew, the men gathered for battle. It was a battle cry. It was, we're going to war. You can imagine all the, the heads popping out of the caves, all the people coming up from underground. They've all been hiding from, from the Midianites, and here they come. But hear the trumpet. We're on our way to war. But I love Gideon. Verse 35, he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came to meet them. He's gathering the people for war. He sounded the alarm, but then he goes, uh-oh. 
wait a minute, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. God, are you sure you want us to do this? Are you really sure you, well, look what he says. So Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Did you catch what happened? The battle cry sounded, the words gone out, and Gideon goes, whoa, God, 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 wait, wait. Did I hear you right? Are, are you you're really going to save Israel by my hand? I, I need you to give me another sign. I need another sign. So what I'm going to do, God, is I'm going to put out this fleece of wool. It's wool from the sheep. I'm going to put it out on this threshing floor here, the one that I've hidden down here low where nobody can see it. I'm going to lay it here. And tomorrow morning when I get up, if all the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then, then I'll know that it's you that's going to save Israel by my hand. Gideon goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning, runs outside, boom. Ground is dry, fleece is wet, wrings it out, a whole bowl full of water. You think he's ready to go? Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground there be dew. So God, don't be mad at me, but I know you just did this really cool thing, but it could have been a coincidence. It could have been a strange weather pattern coming through. So will you do it again? Just do it backwards this time. You know, let the, let the fleece be dry and all the ground wet. What would you do if you were God? I mean, seriously. You mighty man of valor, knees and knocking, hiding in the corner, questioning, you know, well, if you're with us, then why are these bad things happening in my life? And where are these, all these miracles we saw, you know? I mean, just kind of whine into God and, you know, I don't have any power to save Israel. And you have an encounter with God and you tear down the bale and the, your dad comes with your side and your victory. And then here you are again going, you blow the trumpet and, oh, I don't know, Lord, I need to hear from you again. But the Lord's so patient. Look what he does. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. There was dew on all the ground. God responded to Gideon's fleece. Maybe you've heard it said in Christianity, throw a fleece out. That's what they're talking about. Throw a fleece out. See what God, test God and see what he wants. You know, I would say to Gideon, I don't think you needed to throw those fleeces out. I think you had confirmation from the Lord in this. But I would also say that if somebody's heart is to really, really discern the will of God, he's going to meet you there. But if your heart is just to test God, and your heart is just to see what God's going to do, he's never going to answer that. I, you see, I, I'm a firm believer that the plan of God, he's dying to make it available to us. He's dying to tell us. I think he right now, he, knows the, he, he sees the end of every one of your lives. He knows what you're going to do from today until the end. He knows what you're going to become. He knows what you're going to do in ministry. He knows where you're going to serve. From the youngest to the oldest that are here, he sees it all laid out. And he's dying to tell you what it is, but he can only tell you so much. Because there's truth behind the fact that if he told you what it was, you probably wouldn't want to do it. Because I can tell you, if he told me I was going to be a pastor, I think I would have said no thank you. But he laid it out. He rolled it out little by little, a little here, a little there, 
little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then you get where you're going and you look back and you go, wow, he really did have a plan. That's where we all sit. So when it comes to throwing out a fleece, I would say this, don't do it. But if you have to do it, if you have to really discern God's will, and you truly are seeking from an open heart, he's going to meet you there. Because I don't think he wants to keep it secret. I think he wants to reveal his will for us in each of our lives. The question we ask is, Lord, what's my next step? What do you want me to do next? You know, we don't get the big picture. What, What do I do next to prepare for the thing that you've called me to do? Where's my next step? Is it, is it, 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 it's not a big step. It might just be a little step. It might be, hey, deal with your family. Tear down the altars in your own heart. Tear down the altars in your own home. Tear down some of these things. As you do that, he goes, now you've done that in your strength. Now let me do something with you in my strength. And when you step out in the Lord's strength, it's amazing. When you do it in your own strength, you kind of give yourself a pat on the back. Look what I did. But when you do something that's completely impossible, you've got to point to the Lord. Lord, look what you did. Gideon, is he, he, it, it's setting in. I blew the trumpet. They're coming for battle. It's only by the Spirit of the Lord that they would even respond to this trumpet. Think about that. Who's Gideon? Who's the kid Gideon that's blowing the trumpet? I don't know if he was a kid or not, but I just picture a younger man. Who, who is this guy? He's the least in his father's house. He even says so. But he has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. It's the Spirit of God that will allow you to accomplish God's will for your life, and you cannot do it on your own. You will struggle forever and ever and ever and ever trying to do things on your own. I always say this. If whatever you're doing is a burden to you, especially if it's ministry, if whatever you're doing in ministry ever becomes a burden to you, please stop, because you've got to the point where you're doing it in your own strength. You've got to the point where you're no longer relying on the strength of the Lord, You're relying on your own abilities and your own strength. And you're getting burned out and worn out. The scriptures are clear. Jesus says, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Ministry should never be a burden. It's not a burden for me to come up to get ready for Sunday service or Thursday night. I enjoy it. I look forward. Don't you get tired? No, I I miss it when I'm not here. The last three weeks, the the three Sundays in a row where where David was here and Rebecca Bernie shared a little bit and then uh, I was gone. I, I was I'm like, I'm like, rusty, you know? It's like, man, I haven't, I haven't been here. In, in for, I mean, I've been here, but I haven't been here. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a burden. It's not, the church is not a burden to me. I don't look at the people and say, oh, I can't believe this person's having problems again. I've got to go deal with them. I think, it, I think it's a blessing. I say, Lord, thanks for bringing people. You said you would bring people, and, you know, just give me wisdom to share. Give me your love to share. But I don't see it as a burden to deal with people. That's what God's called me to do. If it ever became that, if I ever became bitter like that, I should probably stop doing it. I should probably take some time away and, and regather my thoughts and refocus, figure out what am I doing in my strength and what am I doing in the Lord's strength. Now, we don't have time to see what happens in the battle. You can either read ahead or come back next week because we'll look and see what happens in this battle coming up next week. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for the empowerment that comes from your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the ability, Lord, to live a life pleasing to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, may it be the desire of each of our hearts to to come to you and say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? 
Where do I serve? Where do I fill in? Where, where, what's the purpose of my life? What is, why am I here? Those are great questions, Lord. That I pray that we all come to you and ask those questions. And Father, I thank you for the example that you give us in Gideon where you overlook his abilities. You overlook his pedigree, his education, overlook of where he comes from. You overlook his past. Don't even talk about it. You overlook his confidence problem. You overlook all the things that so easily keep us from doing your will. And yet you simply call him, he responds, and you empower him. May we not complicate it, Lord. May we seek you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen.